Very good. Well, um, Tanner asked me to fill in for him um, for the, the online audience. My name is Aaron DePasquale. I serve over at City Light Mosaic Church, which uh, we, we had the privilege and the joy to send out Tanner and all this lovely crew here, uh, Imago Day, um, a few months ago. And so we're just uh, always excited to hear what God's doing through, through you guys' church, um, through what uh, God has continued to show his kindness to you all. And so um, I just, whenever I get the opportunity to hear Shanner, or Tanner prayer, share what he, what the Lord has been doing with you guys, it's, it's super sweet and super cool. So um, thank you for the opportunity to, to share the word with you all. Um, Tanner was saying that he had planned to talk about uh, believers fellowship, church fellowship this morning. And so um, that's what I'm going to do for us today. We're going to, I had, I chose a few texts of scripture to talk about that. Um, I know there's a lot that you can talk about as far as church fellowship and Christian uh, fellowship. Um, so we're just going to talk about some three, I think some three really core uh, uh, truths concerning that. Um, but before we begin, I'd like to start us off with the word of prayer. Jesus, we, we're just desperate for a word from you this morning. We want to uh, meet with you. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what it is that your heart it has for um, church fellowship, for this, this body um, specifically, what you're doing here at Imago Day. We thank you for um, just your hand of blessing over this church. We thank you for the way that you have been building your church for the past 2,000 years, and you're doing that right here in this building with Imago Day, and we're just so grateful for the work that you're doing. I pray that you would show us what, from your word, what it looks like to be a people who gathered together in your name, and why that's important. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so for, um, for the, just to, to start us off with this topic, um, I thought it would be good to, to read from uh, Hebrews chapter 10, specifically starting in verse 23, says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So uh, this text uh, in Hebrews 10 is often um, repeated because this is very uh, relevant when it talks about the topic of church uh, fellowship, why we gather, and all those things. Um, and so it's very clear from this truth, there's a lot of truth in this text here, but the, it's very clear in this that we are to gather as the people of God. But then we have to ask the question, so if we are not supposed to forsake the assembling of the saints, if we're not supposed to uh, forsake coming together as the people of God, then what is, what is the purpose then of it? Like, why do we need to come together? What, is, what is, should be our our main focus when we come together. And so um, I feel like, like I said in the beginning, there's a lot that you can talk about that as far as what's the purpose of the church and why we gather together. But I thought there was some three things that the Lord showed me um, from the text of scripture that I've chosen today that um, really are the main, really the main, should be some of the main thrusts of why we come together, why it is that we gather as a church. And so um, I was, and I, as I was thinking about that, I started thinking about um, the Thanksgiving, and not just because it's this Thursday, but also because uh, with 
the example of Thanksgiving, you have, you know, whether, you, whether your family gathered around a, t- a, a feast with a turkey in the center or ham or whatever your tradition was growing up or is now, um, you had that tradition or you had a tradition of, um, you know, maybe gathering around and watching the football game that's broadcasted or, um, or of course, you can't forget the pies, all the different pies that you can eat uh, on Thanksgiving and all these different traditions and variations of the traditions. And, um, but if you peel back the layers of those things, which there, there's nothing wrong with them. And in the same way in church, we have all these traditions, which are great because they keep us, you know, uh, keep the order and, and, and we can uh, have rhythms that, are, that help us draw near to God. Um, but when you peel all that back, there's things that are at the center. With Thanksgiving, it's to be thankful. And with church, I think that there are some some very vital key things that need to be important that we remember each time we gather. And so all that to say, um, we have some main purposes to gathering that I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, And the first one I found from uh, John, we're going to be in John 12 and 13 and a little bit into 14. Um, But this one's from John 12 and starting in verse 1. You may be familiar with this story. It says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So, um, Here's where we find our first uh, reason or purpose, I believe, that we should gather, is we gather for Christ-exalting worship. We gather for Christ-exalting worship. So um, here in John uh, 12, we find that Jesus is in Bethany with his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We hear about these three a lot um, in the Gospels, and um, I think the significant part, first part that stuck out to me is that we have Jesus at the table— Having a, sharing a meal with his friends, and sitting beside him. It says, um, Lazarus was one of those who was reclining at the table. And that's significant, if you, you, I'm sure you know, from John 11, is that uh, Lazarus was the one who was just lying in a tomb dead the chapter before. Lazarus was completely um, lifeless, dead in a tomb, and Mary and Martha were distraught over the, the loss of their, their beloved brother, and then Jesus came, and he showed that he is the resurrection and the life by, by bringing Lazarus back from the dead, by proving that he is, he is greater than death itself. And so we have this amazing scene where Jesus is reclining at a table next to this man who is living proof, literal living proof that God, that Jesus is able to defeat death. And, um, and that's an incredible scene, but then it gets even better. It gets even better because uh, we see Mary comes, and she starts... Uh, anointing Jesus with this expensive ointment and begins to anoint the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. And later in the text, we'll see that the ointment that Mary uh, used here would have been sold, it was about a pound of it, would have been sold for 300 denarii, which, is, which was the equivalent to a year's full of wages. And it's very clear from this text that we see that, that Mary was showing an extravagant love that she has and honor to Jesus with her actions, this act of worship. She has seen Jesus as more valuable and worth more to her than the sacrifice of all. It's that she's willing to sacrifice something that is the amount of a whole year's worth of wages. 
So what is it that caused Mary to show this great act of love and worship to Jesus? I believe there's probably a, a bunch of different things that you could point to, but I think one of the main ones is who was sitting right beside uh, Lazarus. That we have, or sorry, right beside Jesus is Lazarus, her brother, her beloved brother, who had been brought back to life, who had been brought back from the grave. And, and we see here that Mary is showing this heart of gratitude and appreciation toward the one who had saved her brother, the one who had brought hope in a seemingly, and was, up until Jesus came, a hopeless situation. Jesus had given her an indescribable gift in bringing her brother Lazarus back to life. And as a response, Mary is showing just how precious Christ is to her. She isn't using water to wash his feet. It says that she's using the most expensive ointment that money could buy. And she wasn't just simply using a cloth designated for washing people's feet because they did that commonly. We'll see that later in, in John 13. She wasn't just using a, a simple cloth designated for foot washing. She, she was using the very hair on her head. And she, she, she had found Christ to be immeasurably greater than anything or anyone. And she was showing this by her display of worship and love. And in the same way, we have received an indescribable gift in Christ Jesus. We have received salvation from our sins, being forgiven and reconciled back to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ has been placed on us, and, and far beyond just our brother being risen from the dead, that we have, we have received life in our seemingly and hopeless death situation. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Christ came and brought life to us. And so we have the same experience of life-changing grace that God has given us in our lives in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he is absolutely worthy of our worship and adoration. And as we gather together, we do so to lift up the name of Jesus together as the people of God so that we can echo the praises of heaven when they said, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Like this is the type of Christ-exalting worship that we get to experience and show as we come together as the people of God. This is why each week Tanner works on a sermon to present to you from the word of God a Christ-exalting message to, to, to grow your affections towards Christ from the word of God. This is why uh, we have Joanna to lead us in Christ-exalting worship music to, to, show, uh, to, to have lyrics that show us the risen Christ, show us, to remind us of the truth of what Christ has done for us. And I love the last part of verse 3. It says, um, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume that Mary was using. And uh, it reminded me recently, uh, my wife and I were hosting a, a Bible study at Mosaic. And if you've been to the building, you know that it's an older building with some older smells. Um, and so we decided to bring this room spray with us to, to cover up that smell. And so my wife sprayed some in the room, but she sprayed a little bit too much. Um, I mean, it was, you know, it was a little bit of a desperate situation. We wanted to get that little nasty old smell out of there. Um, and she sprayed a little bit too much, though, and it was pretty strong. Uh, and even as you would walk up to the room, you could smell it. And, but no, everybody was like, oh, this smells great. So it was good. And, uh, but even the next day, I went back to the church building, and it still, you could still smell the remnants of that fragrance. And um, I'm sure as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this scene here 
and how Mary's just pouring out just pure ointment, this fragrant aroma on Jesus, and how you could, I'm sure that nobody in that house could escape that smell. Like it would probably filled the entire room. That's what it says. It's filled the, the fragrance filled the room. And as I thought about that, I was thinking about the people in my life who have this deep love and affection for Christ. Jesus who is who they talk about. Jesus is who they love and who, they, who their affections are for. And he's everything. He is their very life. And it's absolutely infectious when someone is, who is living out of that love and worship of Jesus in their life. I think of this one man who's at our church. Um, his name is Todd. And whenever he's there on a Sunday, you can just hear the, the love and the affection that bubbles out of him uh, for Christ, that, that Christ, he has met Christ in this tangible, uh, beautiful experience of the gospel. And he can't help but ex- display that and, and speak that out when he's uh, worshiping. And I'm always encouraged when I hear him speak those things. And and there have been times when I was discouraged and even growing cold in my affections for Christ, and there have been people like this in my life, people who have, who have come alongside me and who have shown me their love for Jesus and exalted his name, and I cannot help but be affected by their affections for him, much like that fragrance aroma that filled the room. This, their love for Jesus just fills the atmosphere when, they're, when you're around them. And I so want to encourage you guys as a church to continue in that, to continue in this Christ-exalting worship together as a church, both in the songs that you sing, beautiful hymns and, and praises to our God, but also in reminding each other of the goodness of God in your life. Just, just sharing the things that God has done in your life, the, the beauty of his grace, the beauty of his spirit, just moving through your life, taking you from death to life and exalting his name and saying, look how great God has been in my life. I want to encourage you to continue in that because this is the type of Christ-exalting worship that we can have as, we can, as you gather as the people of God here at Imago Day. So that's our, the first purpose I wanted to talk about. The second one um, that I'd like to talk about is found in John 13. Now, you're, I'm sure you're all aware of the story in John 13 where Jesus and the disciples are at their last meal together um, having uh, the, the Last Supper. And at some point it says that Jesus got up, he took off his, his outer garments, he put on the garments of a servant, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And this was such a, just a, in a, like an abrupt thing for the disciples that even Peter was like, no, Jesus, don't, don't, don't wash my feet. Like that was the, the lowest of the lowest jobs. And Jesus says, if, if you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. And so he is able to wash uh, Peter's feet, and he washes the disciples' feet, and he sits back down, and he says these words in John thirteen twelve. He says, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. So here's where we find our second purpose for gathering together. We gather to humbly serve one another. We gather to humbly serve one another. So here in this passage, we see that Jesus is, was displaying his purpose for coming. Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Jesus was showing this incredibly selfless act of humility as he, God in the flesh, took on the form of a servant, doing one of the most dirtiest jobs at that time. He was cleaning the feet of 12 dirty men who had been walking around the dusty streets in sandals all day. You just imagine how gross their feet must have been, and Jesus is washing their feet. And after washing their feet, he says, just as I have done for you, you should also do the same. And I love, uh, as I was studying this, I read this from a Dutch theologian by the name of uh, Herman Ritterboss. He explained this this way. He said, just, the just as that Jesus says here indicates not only similarity and adherence to a standard, but also the ground upon which this discipleship rests and the source from which it gains its strength. It directs them to Jesus's self-sacrificial love for them as the source, the very source and driving force for their love for each other. So as we gather together as the people of God, Jesus invites us into the same type of self-sacrificial love and service toward one another, to humbly serve one another. And it's not just for those who are more predisposed for serving, right? There's, there's some people who are just more, they, they naturally want to serve others. It's not just for those people. It's not something that we can uh, master and take a course on and then finally become a pro at serving one another in this way. It is something that truly comes from a place of abiding in and recognizing what Christ has done and how he empowers us to do the same towards others. When Peter protested Jesus washing his feet, Jesus told him that they would understand what was going on later. When, meaning that after Jesus had, had gone to the cross and died and risen, they would see that Jesus was modeling the ultimate example of being a servant. That as, as uh, strong of an example of servant love and laying aside his, his right at the, in that moment and laying aside his desires for the sake of others, as washing their feet, even more so going to the cross, right? In, in Ephesians two, or Philippians 2, it says that he laid aside, he laid aside and he came to the point of death, death on a cross. And he laid aside his right and his desires over the needs of others. And, um, and, and he did that for the love that he had for us. And in the same way, we can show that same love of servant, humbly serving one another in the way that Jesus has served us. Not in just physically washing people's feet, but in the way that the, as the, the Holy Spirit fills us up to be able to serve each other as, as Christ has served us, as Christ has shown that same love and affection of humbly serving, we can do that. And just as disciples who had a source of that same type of sacrificial love in their lives, as we gather to humbly serve one another, we do so because we have experienced Christ doing that for us. And his example and love for us is the source for our humble service. And I can't help but think, as I was reading this and, and, and thinking about this, about your, your pastor, Tanner, as I was, as I was uh, thinking about this, and um, I was thinking about this one specific individ- uh, in- instance where I was uh, a few months ago getting into my car, and I went to close the door, and I realized that it wasn't latching because the internal mechanism of the latch had fallen into the door. And so, of course, I called up Tanner, and I was like, hey, do you know of, like, what's the, a good way to get this door open? I, I just never had experience that. I just wanted, I, I have experienced taking things apart in my life and not being able to put them back together. So I just wanted to ask uh, Tanner, who's a little bit more handy, what his recommendations were. And uh, he's, to my surprise, he actually said, hey, why don't you meet me and Cody at Cody's house tonight? 
And so I was like, oh, okay, great. And so I drove over there. I had like tied it to the, tied the door shut and I drove over. And um, when I got there, Tanner and Cody, and Cody had just gotten off of work himself and they had some plans for that night, but they decided to lay those aside for the moment so that they could help me out with my car, help me out with my door. And it's, it wasn't like it was like a big project. It was obvious. You just had to pull it out open. And it was a little bit of a, a tedious and annoying job because you had to stick your hand in like these small spaces and try to like shimmy the, the, the little latch part. And, and it, was, it was a little frustrating in that way, but it wasn't a difficult job. And, um, but yet they, they did it, you know, humbly serving me in that moment, doing so out of love. They laid aside their desires to do what they wanted to do at the time, and they put my needs above their own. And I was blessed by that. And I'm sure if, that they, if they were here this morning, they would, they would say that, yes, the, the reason that we're, they're able to humbly serve in those ways is because they've experienced the same love of Christ who has humbly served them, who has shown them that example. He, was, he has given them that example. He was the source of their joy and humble service that night. And I was, like I said, incredibly blessed by their showing that. So as you gather, as the people of God here at Imago Day, I mean, I encourage you to continue to show that same kind of humble service toward one another. Um, I, I was, I was uh, talking with Rick just in the, um, the entryway before we started, and he was just sharing his, his, uh, how he loves to reach out and encourage other brothers in Christ. I think that that is an incredible thing that, that God has given you that to humbly serve others in that way. Um, and I think of how uh, Colin was sharing the, the, the food bank ministry that he did uh, back home. And now that he's here and the things that you guys have been able to do uh, in collecting food to give out to those who are in need. Just the humble way that you serve one another and others in this community. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Whatever the gifting that God has given you, he has given you that so that you can humbly serve others with it, so that you can be uh, drawing from that source of his humble service to be able to do that in the same way to others. Our third purpose for gathering that I would like to talk about this morning is found at the end of John 13, picking up in verse 37. It says this, uh, Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus has been saying, you know, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So here we find our third purpose for gathering. We gather in mutual dependence on Jesus. We gather in mutual dependence on Jesus. See, something that is very uh, evident as you read through the four Gospels is that Peter was very devoted and loyal to Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, you see Peter making these, these bold claims and statements showing how much he was devoted to Jesus. And I think he was sincere in his love and, and, and devotion to Jesus. And I'm sure the, the disciples noticed this as well, the others. I think, I think they may have looked at Peter and, and saw him as someone who was, a, who was a strong leader and pillar as he boldly and unashamedly pledged his loyalty to Jesus. But when Peter makes this another bold claim here in, in verse 37, and Jesus responds by saying that Peter would deny him three times, I can imagine what that did in the heart of Peter as well as in the heart of the disciples. 
And as Jesus is saying these things that he was leaving and, and just this, the fear was, I'm sure, was rising in the hearts because that's why I think Jesus was, was prompted to say in verse 1 of 14, he said, uh, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He was speaking to how their hearts were troubled and was pointing them in that troubled heart to believe in him, to believe in his name. And the reason I, I chose this particular passage is because I believe, much like Peter, we find our, our desire to be loyal and completely devoted to Jesus to not match our actual ability to do that. As the hymn writer beautifully uh, penned and I often think of is, uh, we are prone to wander and prone to leave the God we love. And though we may desire to completely give ourselves to God, and it's important that we do that, that we surrender our lives to Christ, we find that how often we fall short of that desire. We find that we still have sin in our lives. Yet I believe Jesus speaks this encouragement to us in that moment and invites us to speak that to each other as well. That as, as, we, are, as we are walking through this life, as we are struggling with our, our failures and just not being able to, to live uh, how we would desire to live, wholly surrendered to Christ, that we would be able to encourage one another to be dependent upon Christ and say, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in the grace of Jesus. As we gather together as the people of God, we are not doing so to show the best version of ourselves or putting on our Sunday masks. Rather, we come together as a people who are mutually dependent upon Jesus, a people who recognize our failures, confessing them to God and others, repenting of our sin and trusting in the goodness and mercy of Christ. Let not your heart be troubled, dear struggling Christian. Trust and believe in Jesus. Like Peter, we can be tempted to trust in ourselves to be loyal and wholly devoted to God. If we're not careful, we can trust in our own ability to try and stay a life that is pleasing to God. But when we gather as a people of God, we can invite each other into mutual dependence upon God. A life of repentance where we can turn from our sin or trusting in our own works of righteousness and believe in and depend upon Jesus and his grace in our lives. I know I've experienced this in my own life as I've, I've gathered with other believers. I've experienced this sense of, sense of mutual dependence upon Christ to uphold me and his grace to sustain me. I've experienced people in my life who have called out sin and lies that I was believing and called me to repent and turn to, to Christ, to trust in Christ. People who have met me in my place of brokenness and discouragement encouraged me to lean on and believe in the goodness of Jesus. These are the types of relationships that you are building as a church in Day, as a church who comes together to, to mutually, in your mutual dependence upon Jesus. That's, that's the one common denominator that we've all experienced the grace and the love of Christ in the, in the gospel. The type of Christ, this type of Christ-exalting, humble, and dependent upon Jesus, uh, lives that continue to point each other to Christ and your need for his grace in your life. As his grace transforms and restores, you can celebrate what he has done as you exalt the name of Christ and his work in your life. I know there is a lot, like I said in the beginning, there's a lot that we can talk about regarding the importance of church, but I believe that these three things that we've looked at this morning are truly important, and I want to encourage you to keep walking in them. 
I remember the first time uh, my wife and I got to, to visit with your guys' congregation back when you were just that Bible study in Tanner and Naomi's living room. And I've seen the ways that you guys have exalted Christ, humbly served one another, and shared mutual dependence upon Jesus. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that to continue to walk in that way so that you may be a people who live and look like Jesus wherever you are planted. So I'm going to pray us out, and then we're going to uh, have some time of communion remembrance. So Jesus, we thank you for uh, your grace in our lives. We thank you for what you have done to show us your love. We, we want to lift up your name, the name that is higher than any other name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. We thank you that you are worthy. We thank you that you are who we lift up in our praise and adoration. We thank you for your, your, your constant grace and constant presence in our lives from day to day, each and every one of us. As we go about our days, you're constantly with us, constantly calling us to to let not our hearts be troubled, but believe in you, that we would encourage one another to do the same, to believe in you, to trust in you, and be wholly dependent upon you. I pray that you would continue to remind us of that. In Jesus' name, amen. So for our time of communion, I'm going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as I was, I was thinking about uh, the, the, the mutual dependence that we have as we gather as the people of God, um, I thought, how cool is it that we get to experience that together in the form of communion? That we get to remember what Christ has done for us in his death and resurrection, that his body was broken for us. That's the that's what it's the, the, he broke the bread, saying, this is my body that was broken for you. The blood, which is symbolized by the juice, his blood shed for us. And, and at what better way of, of coming together as the people of God to mutually proclaim, like, we are dependent upon the grace and the mercy of Jesus today and every day than with communion. And so let us remember what Christ has done. Um, as uh, I think uh, Rick and Ben, as they hand out the elements, will remember um, his sacrifice for us, and in our and we will we will we will as Mary pour out our hearts of appreciation and and worship to Jesus for what He has done for us.